Broadcasting live from the Aria Resorts in Las Vegas for the DBA International Conference, it's Capital Club Radio. Now here's your host, Michael Flock. Thank you very much, and it's great to be here in Las Vegas uh, today. The uh, I think this is the 19th anniversary of uh, Debt Buyers Association, and we couldn't be more proud and more pleased and more excited to have five of the past presidents uh, with us here at the ARIA in Las Vegas. Uh, so on the cusp of the 20th anniversary uh, of D- DBA International, I can't imagine uh, anything more exciting and more fun to be here with these five guys. And if I look around the table here, we've got uh, Walt Collins, <coughs> Bob Morris, Mike Cushing, Mike Ben Dixon, and Rich Monroe. And if you look at how their um, administration, so to speak, span the last 20 years, I think it's almost a history, an odyssey of the debt buying industry. And today we're going to talk about kind of lessons they learned, what their accomplishments were, some of the regrets and some of the challenges they see for our industry going forward. Um, so let me start with uh, with Walt, who was uh, the second president and founder of a couple debt buying companies. Walt, could you give our listeners a little background on yourself? And also, what were your biggest accomplishments um, when you were DBA president, and what were some of your regrets? Well, first, thanks for having me here today. I want to first say that I was a founding uh, board member of the DBA. I want to give the credit where it's due, and that would be Dennis Hammond. It was Dennis's idea, and a few of us got together, agreed. Uh, this was back in the day when this was quite a gunslinging industry, fairly new. Uh, our policeman was the Federal Trade Commission, not a lot of teeth uh, yet. Uh, everyone was trying to get their arms around it, the creditors uh, at all. Uh, literally, uh, it, doing business would be like doing business with a bond salesman that would tell you that these B- bonds be double A. Well, what do you say? Be double A or double A? And so uh, that's what that's what the uh, Debt Buyers Association was founded on to to give uh, the creditors, to give our regulators uh, comfort that there was going to be an association. And of course, all those affiliated with it, that there was some sort of background, that there was business acumen, standardization of terms, all the things that you need uh, in 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 and providing good ethical service and having an ethical industry. One of the interesting things, I was second president, uh, Dennis Hammond and I lobbied the Federal Trade Commission, went to DC. We were uh, in uh, in their uh, boardroom with David Medine, the executive director at the time. And it was interesting, they were quite interested in what we were doing. We were trying to lobby in respect of that we were trying to do all those things that would give them comfort along with the the creditors. I gave them my background. I, I was I had every securities license uh, that there is. I, my career for 25 years before this was an institutional investment banker. We chatted a little bit about that, and they looked at backgrounds. As we were leaving, we were on our feet. David Medina himself said, uh, fellas, just a moment. And he he looked at us, he said, "Uh, just as you, Collins, were regulated by the NASD, which today is FINRA, 
we want you to regulate yourselves mm-hmm. in that manner, or one day we'll do it for you. And I think the day wow. is here. And that was back in 2002? And, uh, <clears throat> uh, no, that was back in 98, 98 99. Wow. So self-regulation was actually it, it was, initiated it, then. Okay, It was highly recommended then. Uh, our industry was far too fractured and fragmented okay. to pull that off. Uh-huh. Uh, but over the course of time, I mean, here we are with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That's it. Uh <laughs> At that time, in being the second president, I think we had a, it grew so fast. It was so well received, so much more than we had early anticipated. And I, I forget, I think as second president, I had 300, 350 people. Okay. And I, I, I thought, gosh, I, I must really be a pretty darn good president. I, I, I don't see the, I don't see this thing growing beyond that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So 350, right. Was that your biggest accomplishment then, or is it just I, getting... That's the biggest accomplishment in life, yeah. <laughs> Did you have any regrets? You know, when I back, you know, you, you're asking for regrets, and that was an era that was so stimulating. It was so much fun. I, mm-hmm. I met so many incredible people. Uh-huh. And, uh, so I, I can't find, okay. a, I can't find a yeah. regret, yeah. Mike. I just can't. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a wonderful period to be involved. And I was very fortunate. To, so that was 98 to, and 99 then that period. Yes. Okay. And then, so following you here today is then in, in the sequence of things, Bob Morris. Well, yeah, someone between you folks, yeah. right? And then, Bob, you became president of DBA in 2001, 2002? Two, I think. Yeah. So what were your biggest accomplishments uh, as president of DBA then, and what were some of your regrets? Well, I I just relied on everything Walt told me. (laughs) (laughs) No, things went too well Uh, for you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll echo a lot of what what Walt said. You know, and it takes, I think, the flavor of people like Walt's experience to bring in some of the early themes of what made debt buyers what it was. And, and the theme of self-regulation was something that I think came out pretty early. And uh, I think we were all on that bandwagon as a group. We knew that the pioneer days, the salad days of this business, some have compared it to Wolf of Wall Street. I, I hope that's not The Wolf exactly. of Wall Street? <laughs> no, let's not go there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a business that, you know, was done haphazardly in the beginning. And began to take shape for me when I met Dennis Hammond and Judy for the first time at the Ritz in Atlanta, Georgia. That was the first real, for me, debt buying anything that I'd ever been to. And the first time that I'd ever seen, you know, it proclaimed as its own industry. You know, Before that, it was, uh, you know, a handful of small transactions. And, uh, you know, it, it was something that uh, we felt strongly about. We felt um, and then still to today that it's a, it's a business process outsource solution that needed to happen in an era that was much different than today in an era when consumer credit aggregates were growing in the high teens every year, every year, uh, in an era when, uh, banks like first USA sent out a million pieces of mail every single day uh, and our, our mailboxes were stuffed with credit opportunities as compared to now, just a totally different environment. I think there's yeah, and Bob, let me just interject for our listeners here that you were uh, you had founded Oliphant, you know, a debt buying company in Florida, almost was it ten years before you became president of DBA? Wasn't it the early nineties? 
it will be 25 years a year from now. Okay. So just had 24 you, years. So you had been then uh, a debt buying founder for several years. And I think that probably helped you then shape your view of how to lead DBA back then, uh, just as it did with Walt. Well, in the early days, it was, you know, it was the wild, wild west. You know, it was guys like, yeah. uh, you know, the Oxford capital guys that, that got, eventually became credit trust, went into NCO, was a guy that none of you know that, that jumped in the business for two years. Uh, couldn't handle the, the amount of data that he was working with, and we eventually took over his operation. But it became clear, I think, to all of us in our own independent ways that, you know, wouldn't it be great if, you know, there were some best practices that the industry could adhere to, that, that we would recognize ourselves as a group and, uh, and, and lobby for those best practices. You know, <clears throat> I can say one other thing, the sort of uh, spirit that I think was in all of us at the time was we were revolutionizing collections back then. How, how so? You know, the banks have been working this, you know, in, in the early, early days, all there was was old paper. You know, this is accounts that have been collected on through multiple agency placements. And here come these debt buyers <clears throat> buying uh, direct from creditors that, you know, weren't even uh, auctioning prices. They were dictating the prices in the early days. We wanted to be different from the beginning. And so I, I can tell you out of compliance today for sure. But our first letters did, in fact, proclaim that, you know, we weren't a collection agency. We didn't want to be that. No offense to the collection agencies, but we figured we had a different angle on things than uh, than would have been attempted in the past. And uh, so we, we tried a very, I thought, consumer-friendly approach towards people. And I, th I think everybody at this table has sort of embraced that in their own shops. It was just a totally different culture mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because we had the longevity. Walt used to call it, uh, you know, the, the patience of the uh, capital investment over a long haul. Because it takes time for a, uh, somebody who goes through what we call a life-changing event, whatever it may be, it takes a long time, uh, perhaps, for that person to recover and even be able to make a small payment towards uh, an outstanding balance. And then, on top of that, we were uh, slashing balances to make them realistic, to make them fit the current situation, to incentivize, almost to resell those uh, consumers back into paying an old obligation. We slept well at night, I have to tell you. So being consumer friendly then was what you would call then revolutionizing the industry, which obviously wasn't known for that prior to 2000s. Yeah, yeah I, I think, I mean, does right. anybody else want to comment on that yeah. specifically? I mean, I, yeah. I remember talking to all of us at the time and it seemed to be an effective way to deal with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And, and they want to settle. You're actually helping them. So by doing that, that was, you know, you got a settlement letter and, and then response, but we actually worked with the debtors to help them work. And we were wanting the guys to come back, as you said, to get recovered so that we could be able to help them help themselves. So, uh, and that is, that was fairly unique and a change. Now, all of the ARM industry is following that, but it was really started to build, I agree, with, with yeah. how debt buyers treated it. And they also had the long term. Instead of being an agency, having it for a three or six month placement and either needing to get it all paid today and be gone, mm -hmm. we had the long term strategy of being able to put somebody on a payment upon for a longer period of time and work with them and what they needed. And that has become part of the ARM industry. And I think the debt buyers and their ability to have a longer term look at it has been a big part of that. Yeah. We, we used to have the wall of praise my agents would actually make friends with some of these consumers. We had a guy in Alaska send us smoked salmon every year, years after he'd finished paying. 
That's the nicest. At debtor sent you smoked salmon every year, and nobody liked it. (laughs) (laughs) It always ended up in their fridge. You know, to that uh, point, uh, we started calling. I used the word debtor a minute ago, but we started calling them consumers and consumers long ago uh, before it was even politically correct at uh, Uh where where I came from. And a lot of companies started making that switch. I actually believe the debt buying industry moved the word from debtor to consumer. Consumer. And it wasn't the collection agencies, but it was actually the debt buyer Uh that moved it to Uh consumer. So uh, the, the the practice of you know helping get these consumers back in the cycle, settling at a reduction, like Bob was saying, uh, and offering these people a steep discount, and mm-hmm. helping be able to you know back then many of us reported to the credit report, and we were able to update that mm-hmm. as a paid mm-hmm. cycle, and it actually helped their credit in the long term. Mm-hmm. You know things have changed a little bit, and we can't necessarily report the way we used to, where we could actually update it to that same uh, uh, thing. So. Um, but uh, to Bob's point, I think that the debt buying industry itself operated very different from the collection agency world. And, you know, uh, frankly, um, you know, not all collection agencies loved debt buyers uh, in the uh-huh. early days. Uh-huh, yeah. uh, you, you know, you would get a flack if you showed up at ACA sometimes from certain people, not, nothing against ACA. And it, it right. was just that their members were, you know, a belief that you took an receivable to collect it and you didn't purchase it and uh, the the debt buyers you know turned up that whole model and said you know there's a better way of doing it and using a lot more analytics behind it so mm-hmm. to bob's point i think he was uh, 100 right uh, the the um, debt buyers really helped shape who the the customer and the consumer and getting them back into the system treating them very different from how uh the uh, credit, uh, how they have been treated in in the past, you know, hundred years through this traditional collection agency process. Mm. So, Bob, was that one of your big accomplishments then, as president of DBA back in two thousand two, to initiate this consumer friendly culture? No, no, that, I didn't invent that. I, I would say that was part of the entire industry. Okay. <clears throat> what I tried to do, I, I've always been kind of a tech oriented person, and I created something. I, I had uh, the support of uh, you know, the guys that were handling the sales at uh, Discover Card and a couple of other banks that I've always believed that, that technology is something that can help this business. And we can get into that if you want, but I'm, I'll try to avoid that as a subject. I created the universal. Bob is the one geek here at the table, <laughs> having founded Beam, one I'm, of the leading, le- leading software companies in the industry now that uh, many of us use. But go on, Bob, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I created the Universal Debt Browser, and the idea was, you know, in an era when, you know, the banks were sending out, you know, FedEx envelopes with CDs, you know, before uh, Secure FTP and a lot of nice things like that existed, uh, I wanted to create security around the information that we were handling. And for about 6000 bucks, I worked for weeks with uh, a very talented developer that I had personal friendship with. And... Uh, he coded this thing and and it really it it worked but you have to remember it was a prototype do you all remember it did you remember seeing it operate universal browser uh it's called the universal it was sort of a a locked up pdf for trading receivables that was the idea that you would get this uh, secured file ultimately to be encrypted and then at the end of that process of reviewing it it would be self-deleting so you couldn't open it again uh, using web authentication and being able to have a key to open it again. 
<clears throat> and then having a difference between a sale file and a full-fledged file. Uh, it did things like redacting names, addresses, social security numbers. It was you know, did some pretty cool stuff. I was very proud of it, <clears throat> but it didn't have the fullness to really take effect at the time. I think it would have taken some more work. And uh, who knows? Maybe we could still do it. Well, you were light years ahead on redacting information. <laughs> we just saw by the CFPB's recent announcement uh, in the last uh, month or so that uh, they've now mandated uh, masking of data files. Yep. So so uh, that was uh, what Bob did back in the day was light years ahead, ahead, of, of, his what, uh, ahead of his time. Absolutely. Where it got. So Absolutely. Kudos to you, Bob. Thank you. So, so let's turn to Mike Cushing for a second. Mike followed Bob, what, five or six years later. I think you were president in 2009. And uh, Mike recently uh, was with was an officer with Fourscore, um, head of their business development. And uh, he's just recently started his own consulting practice in compliance and operations. Mike, do you want to comment on what your biggest accomplishments were? At, yeah, and, and, you uh, know, to say as an individual, because, you know, uh, I have to, you know, the board worked very well together. And to say as a president that you did something would be a, a misnomer. And so I would say, you know, what the board did and the continuity to it. And during my tenure as president and prior to that, we got involved a lot more in the federal and legislative approach, getting onto the Hill, getting involved in that, trying to get ahead of some of the rules, trying to get ahead of, in front of people, letting them know who debt buyers are, what we were doing. And so I, I would never say that that was my accomplishment. But during my tenure, we really started to jump into that and get ahead of it and have, and the, and the Debt Buyers Association has done a fine job of continuing to do that because it's hard. You know, we always knew, hey, we're never going to get a debt buyer's bill of rights through someplace. But at the same time, too, when there's legislation being written that has verbiage that doesn't make sense and is, is not in the best interest of not only the debt buyers, but oftentimes the consumers, it's not in their best, best interest also, I think that it was something that was accomplished during my tenure that I think the DBA should be proud of because they really did a great job of doing that. And, and during that period, we spent a lot of time and money mm -hmm. in, in trying to, to do that. And I think that's helped the association in its identification. And I think that it's, it's helped us as it, try to curb some of the things that could go really crazy. So mm -hmm. um, please don't let me take credit for it. But I say as an association and the boards that we worked with, that was super important and a, and a good accomplishment for the industry and for the association as a whole. But you came in at a really interesting time right after the crash when the, the whole market just plummeted. And I remember uh, actually working with Oliphant then that the prices on credit card debt, and when you took over, Mike, were what? Fresh was it four or five cents, something like that. Yeah. The only regret you're asking for regrets is that yeah. I didn't buy more paper back then at those prices. <laughs> that, that's really my only regret. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we all have it. Yeah, exactly. Let, I mean, you let, had let, it easy compared to the folks today, amend, Mike. Let me amend my... my uh, <laughs> I, I, I second that. I second that. Yeah. And, and another thing that I would say about this industry that's... You know, we're all sitting here. We're all friends. And there's not a lot of industries that people are friendly competitors. I mean, we bid, you win, great, you know, good for you. If you paid too much, shame on you or, or good for you. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, uh, it, it's a it's a great industry of people who have really watched out for each other. And I'd also say even before this, when we hear about bad debt buyers, we hear about someone that's not good in the business. You know, we're calling around and talking to each other to make sure everybody knew that's part of the guys that are doing it right to identify that. And so it was a unofficial yep. oversight, but there was a lot of that. And I know it saved me on a number of occasions. And I, I'm, I'm sure everybody at the table has had an opportunity where, geez, I didn't know about that guy. And somebody told me, and I'm sure glad I didn't do a deal. Right. I'm glad you said that, Mike. I come out here every year to see these guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I think there's a lot of mutual respect is what we're saying here today, uh, not just amongst you folks, but I think in the whole industry, people that have been successful and, and have done it the right way, being consumer friendly, uh, being compliant, being certified. Rich? Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't realize, you know, uh, that the terms for president are a year and some some unique cases, they were two years. But a lot of us have spent, you know, 15 years on the board. And a lot of relationships have developed. You know, it's a voluntary association. Uh, but I think a lot of us really enjoyed being around, you know, thought leaders and um, mutual respect. And, and it's been really a good experience from that standpoint. And it's been developing relationships with, with all the board members over that period of time. It wasn't just your one-year term as president. Uh, it was an evolving process over that long period of time, which has been great. Well, speaking of two terms, uh, Mike Ben Dixon next, uh, I think, had two terms. And in fact, uh, you know, Mike has got a pretty interesting story. I'll never forget him telling me how he got started in business selling Kirby vacuum cleaners door to door. And he's gone from that to being wildly successful with, uh, as founder and CEO of Absolute Resolutions, one of the leading debt buyers in the country today. So, um, Mike, you got tons of stories. Can you tell us when you were DBA president, what were your biggest accomplishments and did you have any regrets? And you must have loved it because you did it for two terms. Either that or you're a glutton for punishment. Which is why we have term limits now. <laughs> Regret, second term. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding you. It was okay. I you know what? The absolutely thoroughly enjoyed you know working with people got to know rich really well Re me and rich both got elected to the board the same year we spent good 14 plus years on mm -hmm. the board together you know uh, it, it's interesting because um the one thing that i tell people all day long is get involved with the association you'll find out what's going on before everybody else because you're talking to the right people you're talking whether it's regulators i'm not saying that that was my su success but or that it is a um, but it's an important part of what made ARC is, you know, I got involved with an organization, uh, my right hand people, Mark and Ivan, and they've all gotten involved, right. whether it be NARCA or DBA or ACA. It's get involved and you'll stay in front of mm -hmm. all the issues that are coming mm -hmm. if you are involved. But, uh, you know. I was very fortunate to have a great board team and very experienced people. You know, my biggest accomplishment on the board, I think uh, the board getting certification through DBA certification mm -hmm. is we have it today. Mm -hmm. um, it was not an easy one. It mm -hmm. was heavily debated in Absolutely. the boardroom itself, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then we had to sell it to the members and, and uh, you know, Good or bad, you know, uh, most members tell me they're they're super excited and they're they're glad to see that we have that. And then I hear from some others that if they can't believe we put forth certification on them. Well, you know, uh, certification is, you know, on a scale of one to ten, a two. And if you're buying from the banks, you better be playing at ten. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the uh, the certification is a basic where right. you should be involved right. in this industry. These are some basics, things you should adhere to. But if you're doing business with the banks, you better be doing it at a much greater scale. Mm -hmm. um, because if the you think the DBA certification is tough, I can tell you, as somebody that's approved to buy from most of the major banks, it's much tougher at the, you know, having a room full of auditors come in and really dig through everything you do, every policy and procedure, every how you do it, why you right. do it, and and those procedures. But uh, 
So but, it's, it's necessary, but not sufficient for the banks. Is that what you're saying? That, that is accurate. Yeah, that right. is accurate. Okay. It is. It's necessary. It's a minimum requirement. I can tell you that right. almost every bank requires you to be certified and right. of the major banks. Right. Um, but it's, it's a minimum. There's many other things that sit on top of that. But, uh, you know, looking back at, you know, just uh, I was fortunate to Gary Wood was my mentor on the board mm -hmm. when I joined. If I ever had a question, who did I turn to? Mm -hmm. It was Gary Wood. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, Walt, you weren't there when I got on the board, so I couldn't turn to you. But uh, you passed good information on to Gary because he passed on a lot of good things to me along the way. Well, Gary, so. Gary was my president for 10 years. That was the greatest hire I'd ever made. Uh, he, he was just, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed working with him. Uh, smart guy, and uh, he, he's missed here today at this uh, meeting. And uh, but uh, he, he lent a lot of credibility to the industry. I mean, here comes a fellow PhD economist, mm -hmm. Baylor mm -hmm. economics professor, uh, headed up their governmental wow. affairs department, two yep. terms Dallas Federal, uh, Federal Reserve Board, uh -huh. chief economist, Republican Party Policy Committee for the U.S. Uh, US right. Senate, right. then back home as uh, president of our Texas Research League, not-for-profit think tank to promote right. business for, uh, for mm -hmm. Texas. To have that fellow in our industry, mm -hmm. and then he was one of the finest podium economists you would ever want. Then he became a lobbyist for mm -hmm. us. It lent he lent a lot of credibility early on to uh, what we were doing. Absolutely, absolutely. So that Gary, I was fortunate. Gary was uh, my mentor on the board, and uh, really kind of helped me navigate uh, some of the processes. And we saw a lot of changes uh, during my tenure, but. Uh, you know, there were so many great things. And I think when, you, you know, Rich, what he did and get the, the involvement uh, that when you get to him on, on State Ledge, uh, Rich put it together and State Ledge is where it's at these mm -hmm. days. You know, mm -hmm. you're fighting 50 different states and uh, it's just uh, the there is great people involved and everybody uh, that gets involved uh, finds, you know, I've never had anybody join the board and say, Boy, this really sucked, and I wish I'd never done it. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, looking back on it, you're yeah. like, "This was great. I, you know, I learned a lot from it. I learned a lot from the people I work with." But mm -hmm. you know, the uh, there's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. You run for a board seat. It's not, you know, heading to conferences and things like that. It's it's work. There's meetings. There's you know, you have to run committees and right. and. Uh, so is that why your only regret was the second term? <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And, you know, it's it, it, but it uh, beats selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. It, it, it sure does. It sure does. You know, on on that Kirby vacuums, uh, I, I am a good salesperson. I once sold a Kirby vacuum cleaner with all the attachments to somebody that had hardwood floors only. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's wonderful. Just to touch on the committee structure, because, you know, Mike, I know you mentioned certification was one of the things that um, that you worked a lot on and, and you did. But I think the whole committee structure concept uh, was really brought in and put into place in Mike during Mike's term. And that's one of the reasons why the board at that time felt it was necessary uh, for Mike to go a second term, because we had so many different things going on. We had the certification starting. We had the committee structures being put in place. <laughs> And then we also had the internal staff uh, that we were putting in place uh, with uh, with uh, the DBA staff that we have today. Uh, prior to that, it was all outsourced for you know event coordinators, and um, there weren't any dedicated resources. So back then, it was really the board that did a lot of the heavy lifting. Um, you know, so with state legislation, it used to be a week and a half before hearing. Myself and Barb Sinsley be on a plane rushing over to North Carolina or Oregon or wherever we needed to go 
And that was our state ledge committee. So with Mike's uh, leadership, putting in a committee structure, not only in state ledge, but in all of the other areas where the association needed to focus on, it was, it was a big you know, impact on, on where we are today. Uh, you know, we probably have 75 plus DBA volunteers, two or three people within each state, so that anytime there's a pending legislation that comes up, we're not waiting uh, to react. We've already got boots on the ground. Uh, that, that's critical with the state legislators to know that they've got, you know, companies that are local to their constituents, employing employees in their uh, local areas and setting those meetings prior to that legislation getting written, written and proposed uh, and being able to have a seat at the table to contribute to, to, to a lot of that uh, language and uh, that gets put in the bill. So at, as you guys know, over the last 20 years, the state ledge has went from nothing being referenced about, about debt buyers to everything. Uh, you know, just, you know, there were months where we would have uh, five and six different state pending legislations all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, kudos to Mike with that committee structure, because I think that's one kudos of the things. Kudos to all of you. Yeah, and yeah. kudos to Rich, because state ledge the first year or two, there were meetings every week sometimes two and three, and wow. he had to be on every one of those. He had to get uh, members from every state to get involved, find them, create committees. Every state? Every state. Yeah. Well, that's, it, was, it was unbelievable, and he yeah. did a yeah. phenomenal job putting the state ledge committee, today, wow. to, co- committee to, together today that exists. Uh, uh-huh. When he put it together the way it's running today. Well, the, it's, the it's, later presidents, after the first two or three, the industry became far more complex yeah. The presidents uh-huh. after, after yeah. the first couple yeah. really had uh, so much more to deal with. I was so proud uh, of, of all the effort and all the things that they did. Uh, it, it did. It, it just became so much more complex. You guys just did a fabulous well, it was job. Well, it was you guys like yourself and Gary Wood, like we mentioned, Roger Knopf. Uh, Mike Cushing was a guy that recommended that I run for the board back Sorry. back then. <laughs> um, R- Roger Knopf was the guy that yeah. nudged me to get involved with state legislative issues. You know, back then I did a lot of state sales uh, f- for the company I used to work for, and then for for my own company uh, when I formed Capital Financial Group with Jim Curry. And it was a natural thing for me to get involved on the state level because I had a lot of contacts with a lot of state buyers. Um, so it was the the guys that came before us that kind of nudged us in those directions of of where it made the most sense for us to fit that I think helped tremendously as well. Right. So, can I on. add it? I yeah. want to add one thing. And the staff at DVA, the amount of work that uh-huh. they put in, whether it's the executive director, uh, Jan, or uh, all the staff members, you have, I mean, just the level of, uh, as somebody, you know, be first joining the board, I had no idea, and you know, Walt got to see it with uh, Dennis and and uh, Dennis's staff and and as the industry changed and it evolved and as the association grew from four to fourteen hundred or four hundred to four uh, fourteen hundred, we all seen a big change and the staff is much larger than it once was. It's more active and really uh, today I think the staff more leads the helps lead the board in, yeah. in some of the initiatives. Yeah. And Rich probably well, understands that more than me. Well as being one of yeah, the recent presidents. You know, obviously well well in, in today's environment, you know, it's, it's very, very challenging as we all know with um, the ability to continue to consumer debt, to acquire consumer debt, like we've all been used to. So one of the things that I, that I wanted to put in place during my presidency was uh, making sure that we kind of widened the scope of looking at new asset classes 
And uh, we hired a dedicated person uh, on DBA staff, Marianne Kelly, who's done a tremendous job of reaching out to other associations to form alliances uh, with their members uh, to put together, you know, for them to participate in our conference, for us to participate in their conferences, um, and kind of widen the net to utilities, to healthcare, to tax liens, to all different other types of asset classes that we all know are out there that there's consumer debt uh, that need solutions. So, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things that is still continuing today that we have to continually look at new asset classes to to be creative and and, and find other opportunities. Well, right. That's kind of a perfect segue, Rich, to, uh, to talking about what what I think is kind of the future now of DBA is how do we help our members get how do we help them grow? How do we help them reinvent themselves? And I think just for our, for our audience, Rich, so they know who you are, uh, Rich has had several debt buying companies in the past, most recent of which is one that uh, has focused on buying tax liens in the Southeast. He's also on the board of Lend Street, which is a new debt settlement company. So Rich, I think, is uh, symbolic of kind of where I think the industry has to migrate to, because I think so many of your companies have really talented people. They've got lots of, uh, you know, either good technology and or data that can be leveraged in other asset classes. And uh, so I think, Rich, why don't you comment some more about that, uh, about what you're doing in new asset classes? And then I think your accomplishments, too. We'd like to hear a little bit more about what you did, I guess, it was primarily the state legislature work. Well, yeah, I was heavily involved on all the legislative work that we did with the attorney general's uh, strategy, the um, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the FTC. We continue that work today to, to work uh, on the FTCPA reform. Uh, so that that was a lot of uh, things that were going on uh, during during my term and still today, uh, you know, which one of my regrets regrets is that I'm not still actively involved to see that through, you know, because obviously the FDCPA was written in the 70s and needed to get updated with all the different technology we have today. And, and that's one of the things that um, I think is critical to make sure that we ha- help uh, clearly define what that should, how that should impact collection agencies and debt buyers going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, back on the, the, the tax lien industry for a, a little bit, I, I, it's something that I started investing in back after the crash when the stock market became you know, not as lucrative and really just started using my personal money in, in the tax lien space. It's an industry that's been there for 40 or 50 years. A lot of institutional players are there uh, that are, it's more of kind of an interest play. And it's, it's actually very um, similar to the debt buying space. I mean, you've got um, a delinquent debt, uh, typically property taxes. The county government has to continue to, to run. And so they will auction off the delinquent taxes to um, investors that would basically inherit the same rights as those county jurisdictions with first lien position, superior position. Uh, Each state's a little bit different. Uh, They either sell it as a lien certificate or as a deed. Uh, And then there's typically a redemption period of which the property owner or anyone that has uh, title to the property can redeem and pay the penalty. Uh, In my state, Georgia happens to be one of the more favorable ones. It's a 20% penalty. Uh, and whether they pay a month later or 12 months later, it's, it's 20%. After the 12 months, it's an additional 10%. So um, once that redemption period is gone, you've got the ability to um, foreclose on the property and then basically sell that real estate out um, and, and, keep, and keep moving. So the, there's really two different outs there. It's either you're going to get paid with your penalty return or you're going to seize the real estate and basically sell it through a, a wholesale process. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, a slow burn. It's, it's a, a long process, but it's, it's very 
similar in that there's legal work that's required. Uh, so you've got to have an attorney in that state that's familiar with the laws and familiar with, with the tax lien foreclosure process because it's very different than the typical foreclosure process. And um, it's, it's um, very much uh, different in, very, in, in various states. So there's three or four different states that I currently focus in. And it's something that's kind of grown over time. And um, I, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a fruitful business long term. Rich, can I ask you a quick question? Because I'm very concerned for the DBA. I'm, I'm concerned about ongoing relevance. That asset class, has anyone required you to be a certified debt buyer? The actual sale process is, is um, basically secured by real estate. So it's not really considered a consumer debt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's not a requirement in that industry right now for yeah. certification. And, and from, for the, in, in other words, the sellers of the debt are not creditors. It's county and city governments. And for the last two years, I don't think we have purchased, and we have purchased consumer uh, debt. We look completely different than when we did when I sold the company in 06. Completely. We've had to reinvent ourselves. I've never been asked if I'm a member of DBA or if I'm certified, right. and I'm, I'm really concerned. I, re, I really, uh, please stop me if, I, if I'm getting off from where you want to be, but I wanted to ask uh, these fellows. I look at, uh, I, I think on an ethics committee meeting that you and I are on, I, I made this comment. I liken it, what's going on in my view, to having a, a securities firm uh, in your hometown. And if your securities firm comes under attack for whatever reason, it'll put you out of business. I mean, you could be accused of something that you're innocent of, you will be proven innocent, but people stop dealing with you. Goldman Sachs, they're they're found guilty of fraud and everything else every other day and find millions and millions of dollars, and, and they're still doing business every day. And so I look at what's going on regulatory wise, and it, it appears to me that it, there's a huge squeeze on knocking out the small to medium-sized debt buyer, certified or not. And, and then uh, you know, the restrictions now, uh, the prices are one thing, then it's uh, you can't resell, you can only sue 8% of the portfolio. I, I'm really concerned about, about the DBA in the current environment, I, I think the regulations, it just, if I'm a creditor and I'm being pounded by the CFPB, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I have no problem selling to Encore and PRA. They have deep pockets uh, for the fines. That are no, I'm glad served. you brought that up, Walt, because when we surveyed all of you about this panel discussion uh, today, that DBA relevance was number one in almost all of your responses. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we should open that up. Mike, do you have any thoughts on DBA relevance and for the, you know, small middle market? There's not a um, lot of small and medium sized companies like, like you, Mike. The, and, and here's what I would say to that is you have to start out somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if you're not going to play by universal standards, and that's where I'm, I'm going to go into the certification, but it's going to move into other things. As Rich spoke of earlier, I know under his term as president, you guys worked to open up many new markets. Um, Not all markets or all vendors in certain markets or sellers are going to have a policy that say you have to be DBA certified. DBA is out there 
educating on the certification program to give comfort. DBA, it's not DBA's job, and this is, I'm a big believer of this, because I've had many people come to me and say, well, you know, I need deal flow. DBA needs to deliver deal flow. Well, that's not DBA's role. DBA's role is actually for you all to get together, the, the, the makers of the industry, and talk about what's going on and give you guys a, a place to network and talk about the products that assist you in the in doing a better job for what you do in your own business. But um, what I've said to many members, if you're sitting around waiting for your phone to ring because somebody's got a credit card portfolio <laughs> to sell you, um, you're going to be waiting a long time for that phone to ring because the industry has very changed very differently. And even some of the smaller regionalized banks, they have the same rules that the big banks do on the resale and on the, uh, and on it up. Uh, and one of the minimum requirements with most of these smaller banks is DBA certification. So it, it hasn't affected all industries. As things change, I gather that it probably will affect more industries, that people will want to know that they're doing business uh, with companies that have credibility, and that's where the certification. But where does where is DBA's relevance? I think DBA's relevance is bringing everybody together, you know, considering that the market has really shrunk in terms of what's out there, mm -hmm. there's a thousand people downstairs, guys. A thousand people came together to talk about deals right. or whatever they can do to talk about bringing industry together. So DBA's relevance is about bringing people together. It isn't DBA's job to actually deliver product, in my opinion, right. anyways. No, but I would like to see it participate in, in, the, in the regulation of the markets to a greater extent than it does today. Now, again, a lot of that goes back to a technical solution, I believe. You know, and the market has shrunk relative to the number of people buying. It hasn't necessarily shrunk in terms of the amount. Charge-offs get produced no matter what, right? But they are. But charge-offs are way down right now compared to five years. But they are. They are. But, I mean, that was true back in the day, too. I mean, you had this little three- to five-year cycle, and, you know, it was always uh, it was derived from the amount of outstandings, and that would be about what the market was. That was always Dennis Hammond's approximation and thought it was a good method. And I think it still is today. But if, if you look at uh, consumer non-mortgage debt in the G19 release, you get that one little notch here with the mortgage crisis. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a yeah. continuous growth curve. Uh, you've seen cre credit cards give way a lot to the installment paper uh, during their heyday in the uh, early days of Debt Buyers Association. Uh, credit cards grew to as much as 45% of all consumer non-mortgage debt, having grown from about 15% in the 80s. Now it's uh, maybe in the low 40s now or maybe even high 30s. So the nature of the paper that's out there is certainly different. It's still there, but let's just recognize the fact that it's not in the rest of the market because where it gets sold is where it ends. Less sellers. We've got a lot of the big sellers sitting on the sidelines mm -hmm. until, until CFPB rolls out what the rulemaking looks like. Mm -hmm. We're not going to see it until the... The additional markets mm -hmm. open yeah. up. That volume has to hit the market. There is absolutely for every company out there. I don't care if you're one of the big publics or one of the small to mid-sized. You're facing a product flow issue mm -hmm. because the product flow isn't there mm -hmm. to support as many that are in the marketplace. And right. you have some very large players that tend to be able to take the very large deal. But when you have you know three of the biggest banks sitting on the sideline right. out of five. Right. Uh, that's going to affect product flow in the marketplace. That's not going to help the guys that are looking for something on a state or regional basis, and they have to look at other markets. I always say this: mm -hmm. Look, there's a ton. Whether it's the 
buy here, pay here lots, it's the payday industry, or it's the, you know, uh, local business to business. There's a ton of business at a local level. And I spoke on many topics. And one day I just drove home from work and said, who's got debt for sale? Mm -hmm. And literally driving home, I came up with 20 different things that I could buy that I guarantee you there was some write-offs there. Would it be to the volume of a big pool of credit card debt? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But there is volume there to support the smaller player in the industry. Is there a bigger, is there a place for a state buyer at a national bank? I'm not so convinced of that, but I don't want to speak to the banks. We're going to have to wrap it up. Do you folks have any parting words of wisdom for the the new president, Trish Baxter, who's coming in uh, next week to take over from Kay Dryfirst? And she's obviously at a pivotal point here as we approach our 20th anniversary of, of DBA at a time when, you know, Mike was just, you know, explaining how bad the supply is, how, you know, creditors are sitting on sidelines. Uh, Walt, you know, opining on the relevance of DBA, Rich talking about all the you know, opportunities and new asset classes. Well, what can you guys quickly summarize for our audience here? What advice, what worst of wisdom would you have for the new regime coming in at DBA? I'm going to throw out one thing that I've okay. been saying for a couple of years. And I think you're all going to nod when I say this, but I'm sick and tired of picking up the New York Times and seeing another bad story on debt purchasing. I think that there is an underlying positive story here. This business still makes sense. The creditors are sitting on the sidelines because they're waiting. They don't want to be the first one. They don't want to be the first water buffalo to cross the uh, river of crocodiles, right? Um, But eventually, I I think the ones that that are considering it will ultimately be back in the market, but you're still going to have a limited marketplace in that you won't be able to resell. But if if there's one thing I could change right now, aside from normalizing the market with technology, I'll say, uh, it would be to help change the face of the perceptions of an industry that's often maligned by criminals uh, that are no more a pilot than somebody sitting in a cockpit. Yeah, it, Have we ever considered hiring an ad agency? And, yeah, and that's a, a very true story because it's a picking industry and there's bad players in it. Yeah. And so it's not that we are a bunch of bad players, which it's been painted uh, with a lot of the media and, and using stories that are similes of this one event that may have happened, which is really not representative of the industry as a whole. And it's easy to paint collections as a whole the, the debt collector themselves. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it's easy to write for the Wall Street, you know, the New right. York Times to write a story like yeah. that. It, it, it plays to the general population. And, you know, because the New York Times says it is, doesn't mean it is. And we, we touched on this point earlier, too. The fact that, you know, emphasizing the fact that we are working daily with consumers and we're helping consumers better themselves and they're not a debtor. They're not something with a label. They are part of their neighbors. They're our family. There are people that have come on hard times that need help and uh, need time to, to recover. And debt buyers do that. And those are the, the things that we need to kind of get out there more um, from a, a PR standpoint and talk more about how we're helping the consumers because that's really the key. And Bob, to your point on the advertising and trying to get some kind of national message out there, DBA, I know when I was on the board, we debated this. I'm sure they debated it uh, uh, under Rich's presidency. It's, it's kind of been a topic of the last few years. Here is with the amount of um, 
capital that it takes to get a national message out there uh, about what the positive side of our industry does. We have went down this path. We have looked at it. And when you look at the sheer numbers of what to sway a message like that is, it is phenomenal. We don't have that type of DBA doesn't have that type of money. <clears throat> well, it's called YouTube. <laughs> and let me let me tell you something uh my, my son is a video editor right uh as as a hobby and uh and i'm very proud to tell you he uh he landed a, a job with a band that has completely based its career on youtube and they're ranked in the top 80 youtube channels in the world with 55 to 65 million hits a month so you don't need big budgets to get your word out there anymore. It's an old fashioned way of thinking. But if you got if you got the right story there, because one of the things that I would argue with with anybody that's dissing our business is that we are an undeclared form of social welfare that takes balances that were owed at one point and turns them into viable solutions for somebody that otherwise couldn't have paid that balance. And it's the debt buyers that created that environment. Sorry for my voice. And I take issue when I see these newspaper articles and these TV exposés because it's so not us. It's not even funny. And that's that's why I just want somebody to tell our side of the story. I want them to know some of the good things we've actually done. Yeah. And they never bothered to ask in the article, well, do you owe the money? And that's never part of it. Well, hey, yes, right. I borrowed this yeah. money. And it's always, oh, this is what happened to me. Not Nor is debt collection sexy. <laughs> and, and that's what sells yep. just like a good band could sell on YouTube. We put a YouTube announcement up there about the positives of the debt collection industry. Yeah. I'll bet you it gets very few hits. Mm -hmm. I'm just compared well, to the band. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Well, but that's why you need an ad agency. You have to do it with humor. You have right. to tell a story yeah. <clears throat> and people got to want to see it, you know, and then chances are you need a thumbnail with a bikini on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get a few more hits. <laughs> Well, in conclusion, that I've was, just got to say, idea, after listening to you guys for the last 45 minutes, I'm cautiously optimistic that I think DBA is going to have a new life because I've known all of you in different uh, venues, and many times you compete with each other, but then many times you partner with each other. And what I'm hearing today are all these shared values. You have the same values. Treat the consumer fairly. Take care of your team. You know, get into you know, new markets. Uh, and then there's also a lot of mutual respect. There's a lot, of, and I think it's genuine, the compliments that you've had for each other, what you did at DBA. And I think that's kind of, it, 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 it really typical and symbolic of the culture that over time, I think, has been created here. And I think it's wonderful. And I think in conclusion, you know, I think was it Mike or Mike, Mike or Mike <laughs> said, DBA brings people together. And, and just the communication itself, in and of itself, is important. And that's what we we're doing here this afternoon. And I think it's, it's also positive that after this, this horrible shrinkage of the industry with between the, the uh, you know, the decline in charge-offs and the CFPB, you know, over-regulation, that we have a thousand people here today, which is just almost as much as we had last year. Amen. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. So I, I'm leaving this uh, panel discussion today being, feeling very optimistic about the kind of the culture that you guys together have created. And I think going forward, that's going to sustain this um, industry and reinvent it in the future. So 
just want to thank you all for your time this afternoon. I know you've got a lot going on here this week, and I appreciate it. And I know our listeners do, too. So thank you very much for your legacy to the industry. Well, thank you, Michael, so much for putting this together. This has yeah. been a, a great experience for all of us. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Thank yeah. you okay. so much. Thank, thank you. you. Okay.